This is A Disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm here with my co-host, Lee. I'm Lee, and I'm not here with my co-host, Peter. That's right. I said here because I was thinking of a time when we might actually see each other in person. wishful thinking. But what I meant was not here at all. Right. Although... There's actually a lot of exciting things happening behind the scenes in the studio where we record our podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. I hear tell. I've sent you a little bit of information about a future project that's kind of in the works. Yes. But basically, there's a little bit of a remodel going in the studio. So when we are back in it, it'll be, first of all, be more comfortable for us. And it's also set up for some future uh, video things. It'll make the live (laughs) streams of episodes a little nicer. And uh, maybe some other features that might be nice, too. Yeah. This whole coronavirus thing has been sort of a testing ground for that kind of, you know, content for us. I mean, it's been a lot of different things, but, you know, we're trying to make lemonade out of this situation. So there you go. Exactly. With all our spare time worrying about the plague, (laughs) we've been cooking up some other ideas and it's too early to tease any kind of specifics, but there's some more different kind of content coming. (laughs) So keep your ears and eyes peeled. (laughs) Uh-huh. <gasps> anyway, you're joining us for a Tragedy Tuesday. Those are our mini episodes about disasters that usually don't end up being so mini. Mm-hmm. Although this one's mine, so the length is probably going to be mini. <laughs> oh, burn. <laughs> subtle, subtle Lee burn. Not so but subtle burn. <laughs> just a couple of things up front. I usually do a bit of housekeeping and I'll do it again today. If you're new here, welcome. Hi. If you want to get the full picture, I recommend you go back and start at the beginning. Because we don't do like inside jokes, but a lot of times we'll reference previous episodes. And if you want to be fully in the know, just just go back and start from episode one and work your way, work your way across. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Yeah. That's what I always say. I'll go along with that. Sure. It's a weird saying. I I say it all the time to people not even about the podcast. They'll be like, hey, Peter, how's it going? And I'll be like, just start at the beginning, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How were you going since birth? (laughs) If you like what you hear and you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell a friend to listen. And to that point, throughout the rest of the summer to the end of August, we are holding a contest where if you recommend the podcast in a public way on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and you tag us, we'll enter your name into a draw for some super special one-of-a-kind merch. Wow. It'll, we're still developing what that merch will be, but we'll post about it on our website and it'll probably be a, maybe like a one-off version of the shirts that we just released. Ooh. Maybe with a unique color and print color as well. If, if you've gotten merch from us, you'll know that we like to throw in other goodies. So it'll be other mystery box style goodies. Am I eligible? You are, you're not. Oh. No. That's no, in the not. fine print, I guess. Should've in fact... In fact, should you, you should already be promoting the podcast publicly and tagging us. <laughs> what have you been doing? Oh, I don't want to toot my own horn, you know. That's... <laughs> but yeah, so that's a context that's running up. Again, the details are basically, there'll be a blog post on our website. Shout out about our podcast in a public way. Tag us on whatever social media platform you want to do. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at the Disaster Pod. And uh, you'll be entered in a draw to be done early fall. So this is open until the end of August. All right. Speaking of t-shirts, if you ordered t-shirts and you haven't gotten one yet, it should be there very soon. They're in the mail. The elves are bringing them to you. Aha. I got mine the other day and I can confirm it's pretty great and it's a nice fit. Oh yeah. And we kind of didn't push, we didn't talk about this too much, but the t-shirts are basically completely homegrown and DIY. The design was done by a local artist that basically on commission, I kind of told him what I wanted and he hand drew and made that amazing print. 
And then when it came time to actually make the shirts, we commissioned a local business slash friend of ours who started it called Line Original. Mm. She does her own prints a lot of the times. And for these shirts, she uh, she set up the screens and printed them for us. So it's all homegrown DIY. Maybe that's our being in a band mentality. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's just the band thing. Like we, we know that that's entirely possible and helpful. Like I was saying, just to finish off the housekeeping, if you want to hear about all of this in all one convenient place, check out thisdisasterpod.com. There's also a patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod where you can get a lot of bonus content. Like every two weeks we have micro disasters and some other larger chunks of bonus content. And you'll have access to live streams when we do major disasters and all that good stuff. So check that out. Yes. And you'll help us make more content. So check it out. So today is a Tragedy Tuesday brought to you by me. Yay. And here we go. All right. Hit me. At 9.02 a.m. on April 19th, 1995... Two pieces of human shit detonated a truck filled with 3,200 kilograms or 7,000 pounds of explosive in front of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma. Okay, yeah. The blast was the equivalent of 2,300 kilograms or 5,000 pounds of TNT. And for reference, the Halifax explosion, which we talked about in episode 16, was 2.9 kilotons. And the Hiroshima explosion, which we talked about in Chernobyl part one, episode 20, was 16 kilotons. Hmm. So this explosion was nowhere near the scale of either. No. But it was still enough to destroy a third of the building, right. leave a crater eight feet or 2.5 meters deep and 10 meters wide, kill 169 people and injure almost 700. Mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah. Well, they claimed, and I'm not going to name them because I don't think that their names ever deserve to be uttered again. It's funny. I I, I only remember one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize this too. So I, I will... Not named. There's two of them. There's no. I will do my own research on that. If you want to look it up, feel free. Maybe this is a good time to just for new listeners. The core ethos of this podcast is that we don't really cover disasters born out of malice. And we're not talking about, you know, this explosion. This is all set up. I had a feeling. So when it comes to uh, this kind of stuff, if you want to hear more about the Oklahoma explosion, feel free to look it up okay. and learn the names of these two assholes. So they claimed it was retaliation for the Fed's handling of the Ruby Ridge incident in 1992 and their deadly raid on the Branch Davidians compound in Waco, Texas Mm. in 1993. Mm -hmm. That's a justification that I hope will bring them comfort as Satan sodomizes them with a red hot barbed (laughs) iron for all eternity. (laughs) And now here's the point. So those 3,200 kilograms of explosive packed in barrels in the back of the truck were made up primarily of ammonium nitrate. Okay. I'm not going to go into the details on how to build a bomb because <laughs> I like my doors and windows intact and my wrists unhandcuffed. Yes. In a tiny, in like the tiniest nutshell, ammonium nitrate can be combined with fuel oil to form a highly explosive compound known as ANFO. A-N-F-O. Ammonium ANFO. nitrate fuel oil. Okay. So this can be done purposefully, such as pre-mixing a batch and putting it in barrels if you're a couple assholes. Yeah. Or it can also happen not so purposely. <laughs> kind of a whoopsie-daisy. Maybe we'll talk about that second one in a minute. Okay. I predict we will. On the scale of explosivity, there are a few honorable mentions. Just, I got interested. This is how things go. <laughs> I got interested in how explosives yes. rank and uh, different explosives. I'm so. familiar with your work. <laughs> A few honorable mentions, some of which go above and beyond ammonium nitrate or ANFO, uh, and have actually come up before on the show. So let's talk about those. Yes. So the cornerstone that virtually everybody knows about, thanks at least in part to Wild E. Coyote and Looney Tunes, <laughs> yeah. is TNT. Dynamite. Also known as 246-trinitrotoluene. Oh. It's TNT. Oh, sure. It's formal name. <laughs> this is one of the first things I learned about chemistry from my dad. He's like, you know why it's called TNT? Because it's trinitrotoluene. I was like, ah. Oh. Huh. He's like, yeah, say it. 
Try that. <laughs> That's a weird thing to bring up at the grocery store, Dad. <laughs> Why are we being escorted out of here, Dad? So it was first synthesized by Julius Wilbrand, who was a German scientist in 1863, and it was used as a yellow dye. Okay. It was first used as an explosive in 1891 by Karl Hausermann, uh-huh. who asked, can we blow it up? <laughs> this pretty yellow dye. Will it explode? <laughs> Making Carl Hausermann a man after my own heart. <laughs> Can we restart it with a nuke? Okay. I said no inside jokes, but that's that, I think that's our one inside joke. Yeah. That's a recurring... If you want to go back, that originated in episode five. We did a film fiasco. It's like a disaster movie episode on the movie Sunshine, where they try to restart the sun <laughs> with a nuke. Which is completely possible. I got obsessed with the idea of restarting things with nuclear weapons. It's just a so. funny thing to ask. <laughs> Can yeah. we restart it Can? with a nuke? <laughs> <laughs> so TNT was used extensively by the German army, particularly in naval engagements. And the way they'd use it is they'd have like a shell, they'd pack it inside their shells so that when the shell would hit a ship and penetrate the hull, yeah. the TNT would explode inside the ship. Good system. It was way more effective than I think the like the British would use shells that would explode on contact yeah. and they wouldn't do as much damage as ones that could penetrate and then explode inside the ship. Ooh, diabolical. Yeah. TNT is also worth mentioning first because it's the primary comparator in what's known as the relative effectiveness factor for measuring explosives demolition powder. Oh, yes, yeah, sure. Power. So that, that means like TNT, for example, would have an RE factor of one because it's as effective as itself. Oh, sure. So now we'll talk about Picric acid, which might ring a bell. Does it sound familiar? Um, I'll say yes. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about it before. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> it's also known as 246-trinitrophenol, or TNP. It's primarily used in explosives, namely explosive D. Explosive D. <laughs> Gross. That's what it's called. <laughs> that was developed in the US, by the U.S. Army in 1906 uh-huh. by Major Dunn, hence its common name, Dunite. Dunite. It was used throughout World War I by the U.S., and they would use it in a similar way to the Germans. They would pack it in armor-piercing shells, and then as soon as the shell would pierce it, you know, what the target, it would explode inside the target uh. instead of surface explosions. Man. And the reason that it might sound familiar is that the ship that we talked about in episode 16, the Halifax explosion that caused the whole mess was transporting trinitrophenol or picric acid. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That would explain the uh, hailstorm of molten mm-hmm. hellfire. Yeah. Check out episode 16. <laughs> it's one of the gnarlier ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was co-hosted by our buddy Craig from Canadian History X. That's right. So picric acid, or TNP, has an RE factor, or a relative effectiveness factor, of 1.2. Okay. Which means that it's uh, 1.2 as effective as TNT. Sure. So bigger explosion. Sure, sure. Speaking of explosives ending in ite, probably the one that everyone's most familiar with is dynamite. Uh-huh. And that was invented by Alfred Nobel of Nobel Prize fame in the 1860s. The primary explosive in dynamite is nitroglycerin. Mm-hmm. Historically speaking, nitroglycerin is also the first sort of usable explosive that came around after gunpowder. Right. I say usable. Nitroglycerin is what's known as a contact explosive, and it's fairly unstable. It's quite volatile, as I understand. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah you don't want to sneeze around it. <laughs> Actually, there's a really cool movie, bring it up my dad again, <laughs> that he showed me a long time ago. There used to be a program in Canada called Saturday Night at the Movies. Right. With, right. Uh, what was his name? It's like Elwiost or something. He had like curly hair. Anyway, that's why I saw all the classic movies that I've ever seen. That's why I like Casablanca and stuff. Okay. So there's a movie that came out in 1953 called The Wages of Fear or in the original French, Salaire de la Peur. Oh, wait. Really? And it's about 
these people that got contracted to transport a shipment of nitroglycerin on land. <laughs> on it's actually super bumpy, dusty trail. Yeah, like they're, I, it's not, it's in like the, yeah, in the 50s. So they're like in a truck. Right. They're bumping along and it's actually super stressful. It's just, it's a movie about driving slowly with nitroglycerin, <laughs> but it's actually super intense. It's nice. really good. Well, maybe this is also yeah. thanks to Wiley Coyote, but am I the only person who thought that TNT and dynamite were one and the same? Is that a common misnomer or is that my own stupid, dumb? That's actually a good question. I think they're both, they're both controlled explosives. Okay. Oh, I know why. It's because of ACDC. Really? Because uh, I'm TNT. I'm dynamite. Like, yeah, that's just make up your mind. Yeah. Which Pick one are you? You can't be both. <laughs> stupid rockers um pick rick acid no it's not as catchy yeah no, that doesn't that doesn't work boys so nitroglycerin has a an re factor or a relative effectiveness <laughs> factor of 1.5 okay so it's half again as explosive as tnt half better finally you have anfo which, which we were talking about that's ammonium nitrate fuel oil okay and it has a relative effectiveness factor of 0.75 so it's about three quarters as effective as tnt which is kind of disappointing since that's what we'll be talking about today uh, okay but i also should mention that there's another measure of an explosive's effectiveness called the detonation velocity and it's a measure of the speed of the shockwave as it travels through the explosive and it's kind of an important indicator of the overall energy of a detonation okay tnt has 6900 meters per second TNP or picric acid is just over 7,000 meters per second. Okay. Nitroglycerin is 70, yeah, just over seven, almost 8,000 meters per second. And okay. ANFO is just over 5,000 meters per second. Okay. For reference, gunpowder has a detonation velocity of 600 meters per second. A lot more than gunpowder. And even though ammonium nitrate or ANFO has bigger explosive brothers, we know from unfortunate history that it's nothing to be sneezed at because, well, it might explode. Or but, around, Yeah. <laughs> It's less explosive than TNT, but it still can make a dent. Sure. That's just a little bit of background on explosives. And now you know. Uh, now I know where it sits on the scale. I was mentioning in our Discord, and I forgot to mention this up front, we have a Discord channel. Feel free to join that. It's on our website. But while I was doing this research, I was talking on the Discord channel about how <laughs> I had this like moment where I just looked across the top of all my like my browser tabs as I'm doing the research. <laughs> and like every single one had some ver variation of chemical explosive in yeah. the name. Yeah. I'm on a list yeah, now. Yeah, you're on someone's <laughs> list. You're on the radar somewhere. <laughs> oh boy. This next section, is, I called it Port of Texas City, a word picture. <laughs> on the morning of April 16th, 1947, two ships were docked in the Port of Texas City. I mean, there might be other ships, but two ships of note were docked in the Port of Texas City. Oh, okay. The first was the Grand Camp, formerly the SS Benjamin Curtis during the Second World War. It was now commissioned to ferry supplies to France during the post-World War II reconstruction. Mm. In its cargo hold was twine, machinery, mm. munitions, and ammonium nitrate. Oh, good. Which we just talked about. Okay. In large numbers, because we're talking about reconstruction efforts after the Second World War. Uh-huh. The second ship, called the High Flyer, had a cargo of nearly 880 metric tons of ammonium nitrate <laughs> and approximately 1,600 metric tons of sulfur. <laughs> okay. For reference... I use this as a reference point because it's one that we're probably familiar with. The Oklahoma City bomb had 3,200 kilograms. Uh -huh. The High Flyer had 880,000 kilograms uh -huh. of ammonium nitrate. Okay. So about 275 times the amount packed into the back of a van by the two shit weasels that bombed the Alfred P. Murrow building. Okay. So just a slow floating bomb. Maybe it's a bomb. It, 
Potentially. <laughs> Something's not a bomb until it gets detonated. True. By my next heading, which is Hot Hot Heat. <laughs> so, <laughs> good band, by the way. Played with them once. You played with them? Yeah, we opened for them. Wow. Yeah. They were like no one back then. It was a small right. Yeah, yeah, Then they blew up. Well, I guess music is kind of cyclical because I haven't heard of them. No, they kind of went time. away. I guess they still, <laughs> you still hear them on like the alt rock station. They'll play them every now and then. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about them. The process used to manufacture the ammonium nitrate aboard these two ships involved a final exothermic curing phase. So basically it got mixed, dried, and packaged. And then as the final step, it would be heated to catalyze the final reaction to turn it into ammonium nitrate. Mm, I love when things are caramelized. It's so sweet. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Caramel, caramelized ammonium nitrate. <laughs> yeah, yum. So when it was loaded onto the ships, it actually felt warm to the touch. <laughs> which is not ominous at all. <laughs> <laughs> did I mention the packaging was made out of paper? You did not. Okay, the packaging is made out of paper. So <laughs> Great. <laughs> early on the morning of April 16th, smoke started billowing out of the Grand Camp. Uh-huh. As you might expect. Yeah. After fighting the fire for about an hour, they decided to steam the cargo holds, which was actually a standard procedure for dealing with fires. Sure. Uh, if you remember, actually, in the Great Fire of Chicago, episode 30, the lumber yards were steamed to prevent the fire from spreading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, they filled the cargo holds with steam because the steam will kind of get everything damp and put out any fires. Mm -hmm. The problem with standard procedures is that they typically only apply to standard situations, though. Sure. Not, for example, fires caused by a heat-dependent chemical reaction. <laughs> short story short, the steam didn't put out the fire. Mm. The heat actually sped up the chemical reaction, which generated even more heat and oxygen, which in turn fed the flames instead of putting them Oh. Okay. Maybe not the right call. <laughs> In hindsight, yeah. Can't really blame them because maybe they didn't know what they were transporting. Mm, I mean, fire, douse it with water. That's what I learned well, sure. growing up. Although if it's an oil fire, you've just... Oh, yeah. You're in a whole world of pain. Oh, I'm kidding. Yeah, that's sometimes the worst <laughs> thing you can do. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the people on shore did what people do when faced with a potentially <laughs> catastrophic situation. <laughs> They lined up at the waterfront to watch the yellow flames belching out of the Grand Camp's cargo hold. Yeah, they did. They gathered round. Yep. <laughs> and yellow flames like these are typically indicative of a nitrogen dioxide. Okay. Which is used, among other things, in the manufacture of explosives. Oh, nice. oh pretty. Look. <laughs> <laughs> Check out the yellow flames. Get on my shoulders, Timmy. You can get a better view. Oh, oh God. Oh, what? But yeah. But yeah. Things the spectators, of which the numbers were steadily growing, were pointing out to each other include... The cool yellow flames, yeah. the water boiling and vaporizing around the hull mm. where it made contact with the water. Neato. And the bulging ship as pressure built up inside it. So, so cool. <laughs> the bulging ship, the giant steel wartime ship that was bulging. Run! It's like a cartoon. It's Run. cartoonishly yeah. expanding. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Literally Bugs Bunny. About 15 minutes after the Grand Camp decided to steam or hold, the expanding ship popped. Uh-huh. So it exploded with the equivalent force of 2.7 kilotons of TNT. <sighs> For reference, that is the exact same amount as the Halifax explosion in 1917. No way. <laughs> and again, Hiroshima was 16 kilotons. Oh. So less than an atomic bomb, but. but the same as the explosion that leveled Halifax. <laughs> The blast wave from the explosion of the Grand Camp was felt up to almost 200 kilometers away or 100 miles. It obliterated a thousand buildings, Whew. including a Monsanto chemical company plant Who? filled with grain, you might ask. 
Nope. Mm -hmm. Highly flammable chemicals, oh, which good. set off a chain reaction of storage container and refinery explosions all along the shore. <laughs> Darn the luck. If we're comparing things, at least the Halifax explosion was one giant explosion, like one and done. Right. Here, the Grand Camp blew up, set off the Monsanto chemical plant, which then set off refineries and like storage places all along the coastline. Oh, nice. So there's a little, that's why if you, if you read the title of this episode, it's the Texas city explosion parentheses <laughs> explosions. <laughs> Plural. <laughs> yeah. You had a little snail trail of death traps for it to follow. Speaking of which, remember the bales of twine that were part of the cargo? I do. Yeah. So they came raining down on the shoreline on fire. Oh, along with nearly 6,000 metric tons of steel. <laughs> as which were the remnants of the ground camp. All right. Some of the steel was blown through the air above the speed of sound, which is just over 1,200 kilometers per hour or, or about 767 miles per hour. Oh, good Lord. Windows shattered nearly 20 kilometers or 10 miles away. <sighs> and the Grand Camp's two-ton anchor flew 2.5 kilometers or 1.6 miles. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's horrifying. Remember the high flyer? Yeah, yeah. 880 metric tons of ammonium nitrate, 1,600 metric tons of sulfur. Oh, sure. And hell smells like sulfur for a reason because it, <laughs> it's, it's flammable. Turns out a city block isn't quite far enough to protect one ship full of explosives from the heat of another that just exploded. Ah. I forgot to mention, these two ships were parked about 200 meters apart, mm. which is the average length of a city block. Okay, not enough. That distance isn't quite enough to shelter one ship from the heat of the explosion of another. After smoking and smoldering for 15 hours following the explosion of the Grand Camp, the High Flyer exploded <laughs> and everything happened all over again. Oh my God, that sucks. <laughs> Luckily, small silver lining, not as many flammable chemicals left this time around because the Grand Camp kind of set off the chain reaction. Yeah, it's so a... now it's quote unquote, just the High Flyer exploding. <laughs> oh, that's all. But still, for reference, same scale, the High Flyer's propeller was launched just over three kilometers away or two miles. And a propeller on the ship this size is not small. No. It's at least comparable to the anchor of the Grand Camp. Yeah. That also flew about 2.5 kilometers. These possibly bigger. Ginormous metallic objects that have no earthly business. No. Flying at the speeds they were flying, I imagine. <laughs> no, no. Not at all. No. Also, the High Flyer took the SS Wilson B. Keen with it, another ship that was anchored in port nearby. Yeah, why not? The explosions... All of them killed approximately 600 people and injured over 5,000. Oh, good Lord. They destroyed or damaged hundreds of homes. The port was obviously leveled. Uh -huh. All told, they caused a modern equivalent of $1 billion in property damage. Back then? U.S. No, like the, uh, $1 billion in today's, right, in right. 2019, gotcha. U.S. Still. Dollars. Still. Yeah. Also, 27 out of 28 of the Texas City Volunteer Fire Department were killed in the blast oh. or fighting the ensuing flames. Jeez. Also, those flames burned for about a week following the explosion, and then bodies were being found up to a month after this friggin' Armageddon. Uh-huh. Uh my God. But Texas City rebuilt, because we still have it, Texas City, and it still has a port. Of course. Interestingly, Sam Massio, an organized crime boss from Galveston, which is just across the water from Texas City, organized a fundraiser that raised approximately 12 million of today's dollars. Mm. Although you have to ask yourself, how voluntary were those donations? Dirty money. <laughs> Dirty money and maybe a lot of offers that couldn't be refused. Uh, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. All the companies that lost property in the explosion vowed to rebuild and even intensify their operations, which they did. Okay. Again. I'm not sure if this was of their own accord or because Massio <laughs> made it their own accord. Standing behind them, tapping his foot and 
But either way, all told, the reconstruction cost about $1.2 billion in today's dollars. Right. And that was, or those were, the Texas City explosions. <sighs> That's a disaster. It sure is. That is a friggin... <laughs> I thought the Halifax, the Halifax explosion was bad. Yes. But this is basically like you had the Halifax explosion followed by another Halifax explosion. <laughs> yeah, times two, <laughs> double down. Jesus. Jeepers. Awful. Good Lord. For the music that I picked for that, mm. I didn't mention this, but during those fundraisers held by Masio, yep. he got like a bunch of celebrities involved, including, maybe unsurprisingly, because the mob is involved, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> nice. Oh, blue eyes. <laughs> Everyone's favorite mafia, Jason Gruner. <laughs> yes. The song that I picked is, uh, uh, so the, the artist is Frank Sinatra, yeah. obviously. The song is Summer Wind. Yeah, don't know that one. You might recognize it most recently from the Blade Runner 2049 soundtrack. Okay. That is a movie I need to watch again. I'm going to throw out a hot take right now. Are the kids still seeing hot takes? Is our hot takes still a thing? I think that's ours anyway. now. Like they would okay, roll well, their eyes when we say it. Oh, okay. So. Well, whatever. <laughs> roll away, millennials. That's right. But here's a hot take. Blade Runner 2049 is a superior sequel to Blade Runner. I mean, I was talking to someone last night who agrees... 100% with yep. you. And don't get me wrong. Blade Runner, let's say if I have a top three sci-fi movies, mm. Blade Runner is maybe in my top four. Okay. But in my top three is Blade Runner 2049. And Time Cop. So it's that. like, <laughs> <laughs> if you must know, it's Sunshine, Interstellar, and Blade Runner 2049. That's a my top three. power pack of three right there. Now you'll learn something about me. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, what are your science favorite science fiction movies, listener? Yeah. Get in touch. Chime in. Seems like a off the rails. Frank Sinatra, <laughs> Summer Wind. It's in Blade Runner 2049. It's in the scene when... Uh, Harrison Ford. Nope. Han Solo. Nope. Indiana Jones. That's the same person. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, no, the main... Ryan Gosling. It's in the scene where Gosling first comes back to his apartment and his hologram is like making dinner and stuff. Oh, yeah. So the mu the music playing in the background is Summer Wind by ah, Frank Sinatra. Okay. It was originally released in Germany as Der Sommerwind <laughs> and recorded by Sinatra in 1966 after it was uh, translated. The opening line is the summer wind came blowing in from across the sea. And I mean, in Texas, it was the spring, but there was definitely, definitely some wind associated with these explosions, I think. To say the least. Yes. Yeah. And beyond that, I've always been a Sinatra fan. Like, he's got one of the coolest voices, I think, of all time. <laughs> yeah. Pretty uh, unparalleled. Like, yeah. no one yeah. else sounds like him. So that was my music choice. And that was the Texas City Explosion. Cripes. That's a lot of destruction and very little time. Very little. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. If you like what you heard, the best thing you can do is to tell a friend to listen. And like I said at the beginning, you can now do that in public form. So if you publicly tell somebody to listen to this podcast on social media and tag us at this disaster pod on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, we'll enter you in a draw for some super special merch coming up in the fall. So that goes until the end of August. And then in early September, we'll do the draw and then we'll send you your super special merch. Cool. So, so do that. The next best thing you can do, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and leave a rating or review. I think uh, Apple Podcasts is still the best place to do that. You can find all of our information in one convenient place at thisdisasterpod.com. You can follow us on social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thisdisasterpod, and on our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod. Tons of bonus content. We've got uh, micro disasters coming out every two weeks now, and usually some other surprise bonus content, and access to our live streams, and lots of good stuff. So check that out. And discounts on merch when it comes up.
So I guess we'll see you in our next major disaster. Bye. Bye.